Amen. You believe that? Amen. Amen. You thankful for being in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Just looking forward to what God has in store for us. <clears throat> Amen. Just, just ready to get into the word this morning. If you could, if you would, turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Amen. Just appreciate Brother Earl just allowing us to just come and speak to you while he's gone. Amen. Just uh, appreciate him putting us up and brought the whole family with me this morning for Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. So we know the moms are the real heroes, but we come in and get some of the glory at the end. So amen. You know, one thing I thought, you know, being married was, you know, was new and, and had its challenges and is nothing compared to having children. So I'm being paid back for everything I did to my parents <clears throat> tenfold. So, and I kind of thought our little girl, our last one would be the sweet one, but she's beating up on both the boys. So I'm sure we've got it in store for us on her, but <clears throat> definitely thankful for my family being here this morning and on Father's Day. But if you would, why don't we just bow our heads just before we read the the word this morning. I mean, if you have an unspoken request, why don't you make it known by lifting a hand this morning? Lord, we just come before you, Lord, just great expectation. Lord, we pray that you just come and just speak to each and every individual heart this morning, Lord, if they have a need in their life, Lord, there's no way that I can touch them, no way that I can heal them, but Lord, if you could just, just come down and meet the needs of your people this morning. God, I pray that they would just pull on the gift of God, that whatever they would have need of, Lord, you would just come and, and just present that and speak to their hearts this morning. Lord, for those that were unable to make it, those that are out sick, Lord, we pray you just send them a special touch as well. Lord, we pray you just, just bless the word, just move me aside and come and speak to your people. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> amen. We'll begin in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, For which, I, for which cause I also suffer these things, Never, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Amen. So, to read the word, you can have your seats this morning. Amen. And I've I brought my water bottle with me, and I can't I can't preach more than just a few minutes, and and without drinking a a drink, and I just don't have that <clears throat> that gift that those other ministers have. They can get up here and just preach and preach and preach and never take a drop. But I need a little help, so. So we just pray the Lord will just get us through this morning. But what, my thought this morning is titled just Christ means more. And I think it's just a very simple thought. And you ask, well, what does Christ mean more than? Well, everything. And he's got to mean more to you than anything else in the world. And, and, you know, as we begin looking through the scripture, we see that as we go down through there, you know, Brother Branham says, and I've heard, but now I see, he said, and Satan had even stretched as far as he could on that. And he's speaking of Job here, and he said he took every friend and everything he had and almost his complete life, but he couldn't take his life. He said, but Job held right there. There was no turning back. He said, you see, when a man or a person has once really come into contact with God, with that genuine revealed faith that God is, there's nothing, no time, nowhere can ever separate that man from his God. He said, I believe it was Paul that said there's no strife, no hunger, no perils neither living creatures or death or anything that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, you're securely anchored in him because you were ordained to that life. How many believe you were ordained to that life this morning? And so we see, you know, looking through the scriptures, you know, one of the things that I really love is when 
when Eliezer come out and he, he went into Rebecca and and we, we see, you know, he, he begins to, to speak into the Lord and says, you know, if she comes out and she, she water, I ask her for a drink of water. And she says, not only you, but I'll water your camels. And, and she, they, they begin to go back to the house and he presents the gifts to the family. And of course, they say, you know, you know we, want, we want her to go back and, and, and marry Isaac. And, and, and the family's in agreement, but then it comes time for her to leave. And all of a sudden, you know, they wanted her to stay another 10 days and stay, stay a little longer so the family can, can have their goodbyes. And and so they couldn't decide. Eliezer said, you know, no, don't, don't stop me. Don't hinder me. Let's go now. And they, they had to call Rebecca and said, let the damsel speak for herself. Is that right? And they said, will you go? And she said, I will go. And I believe as Christians in this day, it's all come down. You know, we can't go on on our husband. We can't go on on our wife. We can't go on on our family. We can't go on our pastor. It's got to be you speaking and saying, I will go. Is that right? Now, there's a, I think I've read this here before. I'm not sure, but there's a, there's a, there's a term in 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 um, in in pilots that are flying planes, and it's called the term. The term is called the PNR, and it's it's often retur- referred to as the point of no return, and often referred to as the radius of action formula. And it's originated as a technical term in air navigation to refer to a point on a flight at which, due to fuel consumption, the plane can no longer return to the airfield it took off from. So what it's saying is that they've gone so far that there's no way with what they have left that they could get back to where they started. I believe as Christians, you know, in, in this message, in this day, we've come so far, there's no way we can go back now. Is that right? And with what we've seen, with the truth that's been presented to us, with the, with the things that the Lord has given to us in this day, there's no way we can turn back now. We've got to keep going until we meet that rapture. Is that right? Now, I, I like this quote from Winston Churchill. It says, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. You know, now we can, as message people, we've got plenty of fights, plenty of fires, plenty of things we could focus on, but we're never going to re- reach that rapture if we're just focused on everything that's going wrong. Is that right? If we look at everything that's going wrong in this church or even in our own church or another church or this, this or that, we're never going to make it to our destination. We've got to be focused solely on Christ. Is that right? You know, I, I, as I tell my kids, you know, a bad attitude's like a flat tire. You're not going to get, you're not going to go anywhere until you fix it. Is that right? So if you come this morning, you had a bad attitude, you're like, oh, Brother Allen's back again. Oh, man, anybody but him. Fix the bad attitude, ignore me, pray, and hopefully God will speak to your heart. Amen? Amen. So this morning, I'd like to just go over uh, the story of Gideon, if I could, just for a minute. We'll be in Judges chapter 6, most of the service. Amen. But just looking forward to maybe God speaking to us this morning. Amen. And again, happy Father's Day to all the fathers here, and just pray that you just have a blessed day with your family. Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, and they came up against them, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come unto Gaza, and they left no sustenance for Israel. Neither sheep nor ox nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and with their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for a multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to destroy it. If I could there just stop for a moment, they entered the land specifically for one purpose, and that was to destroy it. And if you allow Satan in your life, there's only one reason he's there, and that's to destroy it. He can talk you into doing this and talk you into doing that, but I promise you the only thing he's there is to seek, kill, and destroy now, verse 6, and it says, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. 
So we see they had reached a point of desperation. They begin to cry out unto God. And you begin to look through the Scripture, and you begin to look back through the Bible, and you look at the children of Israel. Many times I study the children of Israel, and I'm like, man, these guys are just crazy. They, they would, God would give them this, and then they would go back, and then God would give them this and deliver them, and they would go back, and God would deliver them, and then they'd go back. And, and then I begin to look and thinking about my Christian walk and being like, well, I guess it was kind of, kind of pretty similar to that. You know, I would, I, would, I would be on fire for God, and then I would go in this valley, and then I would be back on fire for God, and valley and mountaintop experiences, and and we see that as true Christians, as true believers, we finally reach that point, you know, as Holy Ghost believers, well, where there's one thing that's our absolute, and that's, and that's Christ. Is that right? And, and so Brother Bram says in Desperations, he says, the sign of his coming should throw every member of Christ into desperations right now about our souls and about our welfare. And for hereafter, he said, well, he says, what are you going to do to what are you going to do if you amount to and gain the whole world? He says, what are we living for? What do you work for? What are you eating for? What are you struggling for? He says, to live. And he says, what are you living for? And he simply says, to die. He says, you're not fit to live until you're fit to die. He said, it's true. And we see so many miracles of healing, it should put us into desperation. So what Brother Branham is saying there is, is why are you going to work? Why are you doing the things you do? Why are you living? Why are you trying? Why are you struggling? And he says, to live. And he says, why are you living? To die. So we see at the end of this life, this mortal life, the only thing that meets us is death. Is that right? And if we're, if we're Holy Ghost-filled believers, we know that, that we will meet the, the raptured souls. We'll meet them in the air. Is that right? The dead in Christ shall rise first. But to see that what we're doing in our mortal lives, the things that we're gaining, maybe we get the bigger house, the bigger car, the better this or the better that. But really in life, and those things are fine, and I definitely want everybody to have those things because I believe as, as, as human beings we should do the best we can in, in, in life and the best we can for our family. There's nothing wrong with that. But those things will pass away. Is that right? There's one thing that's eternal on, if, on the believer, and that's the soul. Do you believe that this morning? Now, Judges 6 and 7, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto, his children of, unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. He said, You and out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of the oppressed you, and I drave them out before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But ye have not obeyed my voice. So we see that God made them a promise, and they had to obey him to keep that promise in full effect. Is that right? So we see that they disobeyed God, and that's why the promise was no longer in effect for the children of Israel. In verse 11, And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under the oak, which is Oprah, and, and it pertained unto Joash the Abyssalite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And so we see that Gideon is here, is, is threshing the wheat, and he's hiding so that he can take back some for himself so the Midianites would not come in and steal it. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why is all this befallen us? And where be all the miracles of our fathers that told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And I love the angel of the Lord here. And the angel of the Lord looked upon him and said, Go thou in this thy might and save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? So we see that Gideon begins to say, you know, if the Lord has forsaken us because all these things are happening. And what it was was the children of Israel forsook the Lord. Is that right? So if you're wondering why all these things are going on in your life, why everything's happening to you, maybe it's because you forsook the Lord, not God forsaking you. And, you know, many times in our lives we begin to wonder why we're going through things and why God is putting us through this and why God is doing this. And 
I always go back to John chapter 9 in the Bible where the disciples were walking with Jesus and they came upon the blind man that sat at the gate and, and, and they said he was blind from his youth and the disciples asked Jesus a simple question and said, who sinned, this man or his parents, right? And so Jesus said, neither did his parents sin nor did he sin, but that the works of God might be made manifest in his life. Is that right? So we see that that man was blind from birth just so the gifts of God could be made manifest in his life. So we, many times we think, why are we going through these things? Maybe it's so God can work a miracle in our life to show the other world, to show the rest of the world that he's real. Is that right? So just because you're going through something doesn't mean God has forsaken you. doesn't mean that there won't be tests and trials, that if you stick with the Lord, there won't be those things because God's going to test and try every son. Is that right? I believe the scripture says we all must be tried and chastened before we can come to the Father. Now, we see that the angel of the Lord says, have not I sent thee in the end of that, in, in verse 14. So we see that the angel of the Lord has sent Gideon now, and so Gideon has, has something to do. And Brother Branham says, if God be with us, then where are all the miracles? He says, then these so-called churches around the country today say, well, where's all the miracles? We'll give $1,000 to anybody that will permit or produce a miracle. He said, you poor, deliberated, backslidden, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. How are you ever going to see a miracle until you become one? He says, glory. He says, a miracle of God's grace to take an unbelieving doubter and fill him with the Holy Ghost. He said, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. He says, if you want to see a miracle, become one. He said, let God do the work on you first. He's got some overhauling to do. Some different lenses to put over your eyes because you're blind, dead in sin, and trespasses, spiritually blind, and double dead. He said, that's right. God has given you life to touch your eyes so you can see and perform a miracle and make you a miracle. Then you can see the miracle working God. That's the first thing. And I think that's the problem with us many times is we want, we want more people to come to church. We want God to save souls, but we want them to come in the way we want them to come in. Is that right? We, we already want you to dress this way. We want you to do these things. We want you to do this or do that. But we know that that's not the way Jesus went. You know, he went out. He wasn't in the synagogue saying, come unto me, come unto me. But he was out with the harlots. He was out with the drunkards. He was out with the tax collectors. He was out with the, with the fishermen. He was out doing these things to bring people into him. Is that right? And so we see, we don't just tell God, well, you know, you've got to send us more believers, but we want them to come in dressing right, talking right, acting right. And that's like, as Brother Branham says, you know, you want, to, you, you, want to clean the, you want to catch the fish before you clean it. Is that right? And so with believers, we want, to, we want to bring them to Christ before we start trying to put our ideas on them. Is that right? Amen. If it's, if it's not right, I'm sorry, but we need to get them to Christ before they can change. If we get them in and we change them, they can fall away. But if God changes them, they'll never fall away. Is that right? I mean, do you love the Lord this morning? Judges 6 and verse 15, and I'm going to keep on going down through this story of Gideon. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And, and many times as, as, a, as, a, as a Christian and a young man, we begin to look at our own selves when God wants to use us. Is that right? We begin to, when God comes down and he really wants to use us, we begin to look at ourselves. And, and, and verse 16, the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And so Gideon began, when, when the angel of the Lord caught him, Gideon began to look at himself and say, There's no way that I can do this. Right? He said, there's no way that I can do this. You've got to find somebody else. I'm the least in my father's house. My family is poor. You know, we're this or we're that. And, and that's the one thing. God doesn't look at the outer shell. He looks at the inner. Is that right? And you remember David, even his own father, when, when Samuel came to anoint the king, 
You begin to look at, at Jesse, and he was so sure that David would not even be picked because he was the least of his brothers. He was, he, was, he, was the, he was the one that just nobody would pick. Even his own father didn't call him when Samuel said, bring out your sons because I'm going to anoint a king. And, and you can imagine, you know, Jesse just being there like there's no way it could be David. And many times we look and we say, well, there's no way it can be this one. God cannot use this one. But then what does God do? He turns around, cleans that vessel up, and uses them. Is that right? So it's not what we can see on the outside, but it's what God can see on the inside. And then that vessel, as Christians, we have to surrender ourselves to God. Now, Brother Bram says in the evidence of a resurrection, he says, come in and abide with us. And he's speaking about the, uh, the, the two on the road to Emmaus walking with Christ. And it says, oh, I couldn't ask him to come in. I've been a drunkard. I've been a gambler. He says, I don't care what you are. Ask him and you will find he will come on your invitation. Do you believe that? He said he's never turned one down yet. He never will turn one down. He's longing and trying to get into the heart. And you say, I've been a street harlot. He says, I don't care what you've been. God is trying to work his way into your heart. Just say, come in, Lord, and abide with me. And it's that simple. Many times we try to make it hard. We try to make it difficult. But God said, just ask him, come in, abide with me, and he will come. Now we see that after, after Gideon is called, he's given a commandment. And as Christians, we're not just called to come and sit on a pew. How many of you know that? All right, well, Sam knows it, so we're good there. We got one. We, we're good. I can get by with one, you know. You know, I, I coach a little league team, and um, so I'm used to people not listening to me at all, so I'm, I'm very comfortable. If I, if I talk and everyone's just looking at butterflies and picking flowers, I'm just still, still going to stay in it, so amen. You know, and I was saying my, my previous profession, I was a mortician, and so I was always constantly talking to the dead, so God called me to be a message preacher. Sometimes I feel like he was preparing me. Amen. I'm just messing. I'm just lightening everybody up before we get preaching. Amen. I'm not going to teach you anything that Brother Earl has, and I'm not going to preach anything that's not in the scripture. So if you get in and pull on the gift of God, this is a very simple lesson. Hopefully it'll just increase your courage, increase your faith. That's all I'm here for, is just kind of put our shoulder to the wheel and make you believe and know that this word is true. That's the only purpose behind me. So, amen. Do you love the Lord this morning? Amen. We got a few more that time. So we're opening up a little bit. Amen. So we see, you know, and I just go and just, just talk to you just for, just for a few more moments. And, you know, coaching a little league team is probably, you know, one of the most difficult things I've ever done. You would think it'd be, you know, working in, in finance and doing things and trying to do this. But to, but to the, the power and the responsibility that we have as parents, just talk about Father's Day for a little bit, how much responsibility is on the parents is just amazing because you are actually leading and guiding and shaping and molding that child. And if you're not a Christian, you know, um, just how difficult that would be in this day. But you look at these kids that come out in this city league and, and you know, they come out and, and you know, me and, me and my oldest there, we, you know, we practice baseball at home. We, we throw the ball at home. We go outside and we do stuff. And, and it's amazing to me how many kids show up and they, they don't know which hand to put the glove on. They don't know, they've never thrown before. You know, I've got kids doing, just throwing like this and throwing like this. And, and you can see they've never been taught and, and they don't know what to do. And it's really hard. You can't really blame the kid, right? not their fault. <laughs> it's not their fault that their parents didn't teach them how to throw a baseball or how to catch or how to do this. And then they signed them up for the league because eight-year-olds cannot come up with $50 and go sign up for the league. I'm sorry. So I can't really be mad at the kids, right? But who am I yelling at? The kids. Who am I screaming at? Run, throw, catch, do this. Who am I screaming at? The kids, right? And so as message believers looking at that, you know, there's only a certain point at where we, we cannot blame ourselves, all right. At some point, we've got to take responsibility. We can say, okay, I'm not under mommy and daddy anymore. This is, this is me. 
some of you young people that are getting up of age right now, or some of you young married people, or even my age, which uh, I don't know if I'm considered middle-aged yet or not. I'm 33. I, I feel middle-aged if, if, uh, if that works. But, you know, I've, I've got to come to a point where I've got to say, okay, I cannot get in on anybody else now. Right? And that, that happened for me a long time ago. Right, when, I was, when I turned 18, I, was, I, was, I moved out. I was getting out of Dodge. I was going to take care of myself and do that. And, and so I moved out, and you know, I loaded my stuff up in my Forerunner in one night, and I moved out, slept in the car that night, and then found a rental house the next day. I was going to take care of me. And let me tell you, utter destruction occurred over the next two years. But I found out I wasn't ready, right? But I had to come, but that, that, that you know, not, I'm not going to go through my testimony now, but it did. It just was a downhill slide from there because I thought I had what I needed and found out I didn't have anything, right? And so you then lost everything that I did have, which was minor possessions, obviously. But you see, but God can turn that around, right? And so if you come into this battle and you're not prepared, you know, there's only a point where you can blame God so much, Right? You know, there's, a, there's an old World War I story or World War II story where, you know, the soldiers were actually going off to battle and they had so few guns. They were handing one soldier a gun, then the next soldier would get shells, would get ammunition. And that's how they would go to battle. And when the other soldier would die, you'd pick up their gun and, and then go in and fight. So could you imagine being sent to a battle with no gun, right? How difficult that would be and how, how hard that would be in my mindset. You know, it's like me going hunting and forgetting my bow. I'm out there pointless. There's nothing I can do, right? I, I can't make a bow or I can't do that, but could you imagine a soldier being sent without a gun? And, and so when we look at the word, you know, God has given us everything we need to overcome in Laodicea. Is that right? None of you can sit here and say, God did not equip me. God did not give me everything that I needed to overcome in this day. Nobody can say that because God has given us everything we need. And so as believers, we ought not to look at it and say, well, God did this or God did this or my family did this or my church did this or, or this person left or that person left. And, and all I can say is if you fall away when another person falls away, your faith was not in Christ. It was in that person. Amen. So if, you, if your faith is in a man, let me go ahead and tell you, it's going to be cut short. But if your faith is in God, he will see you through to the end. Do you believe that? So we see that as, as Christians, God has equipped us. God has given us everything that we have need of. And I know I went way off there, but, but we look at Gideon. And after he's called, God just didn't call him just to come and sit at church and just to do this and go through the motions and do that. But he gave him a commandment. Is that right? And so in verse 25, and it came to pass the same night, the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock that is seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. So we see that God auto automatically comes in and says, Now I've called you, now get rid, get rid of the other gods, get rid of everything that's in front of me. He says, So out with Satan and in with Christ. But he says, Throw down the altar of Baal and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. And I love it, you know, the altar that they had built to Baal, I'm assuming, was a really nice altar. It was a really nice place, you know, because they were really showy um, for, the, for, the, for the lesser gods. It was more of a show. And so we see that God was not one to be worshipped on another altar. He, he's like, I don't even want to be worshipped on the altar of Baal. Tear it down and build a new altar specifically for me. And I want you to know, you can't come in here with your denominational theories you can't come in here with your dogmas, your creeds, your ideas from old method ideologies. You can't bring that in and worship God in that same way. You've got to come down and tear down the old altar and build a new altar and worship only Christ. Do you believe that? Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord said unto him. And he said, So it was because he feared his father's household, the men of the city, 
that he could not do it by day, but that he did it by night. And so we see that he, he, he was a little nervous about it, but he still did it. Now, Brother Branham says in Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In 56, he says, you have to be in love with the author, author to be able to read between the lines. He said, because God promised and he said that he had hid it from the eyes of the wise and prudent and would reveal it to babes such as would learn. He said, you know the scripture, don't you? He said, so we want you. He said, it doesn't take a great degree in theology. It doesn't take some BA or DD. The only things it takes is a humble heart surrendered to him. And that's what does it. So you're saying, well, what do I need? And he plainly says there, a surrendered heart. That's all you need. Because once you can surrender yourself to God, he will equip you and, and give you everything you need to face the battle. Is that right? Now, we see that Gideon did, and I'm just going to kind of down, skip down through the scriptures here just for a few moments. We see that Gideon did what was asked of him. And you see that the men of the city come out the next day and was, and was mad. And we see that Gideon's father said, hey, you know, if, if Bell be a god, let him speak for himself. Is that right? He said, hey, let him speak for himself. And, and I kind of look at that today. You know, many people, you know, they have problems with the message of the hour. But I'd like to see something else produce a life that the message produces. There's no other religion. There's no other denomination that can produce the life that the message of the hour can produce. Is that right? There's, there's, there's no theology, no, no, no matter how good or how, how good the minister is or how feel good it is. Joe Olstein, no matter how good it looks or how big the smile is, there's no religion that, that can produce a life like the message of the hour and the word of God. Is that right? Now we see that you know it all, it all comes down and, and we see they begin to build the altar of the Lord and, and people begin to take faith because of Gideon. Other people hear what Gideon did and people begin to take faith. You believe that? And sometimes you wonder what's going on in the church and you see one take faith and then you see another take faith. Is that right? Now Gideon is going to fight the Midianites and we're going to skip on down to verse 33. And it says, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abizar was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also were gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher and Zebulun and, and Natili, and, and they came to meet him. And then we skip on down to ver or chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many. For me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel, Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. So we see that there was a time, you know, when, when, Israel, when, when Israel came together, and we see that they, they come in such a great number that God comes down to Gideon, or the angel Lord comes down to Gideon and says, Hey, you know, you've got too many men on your side because Israel will vaunt themselves and say, You know, we did this, this wasn't of God. And, and as, as believers, we shouldn't want to receive any glory. It should all be going to Him. Is that right? No matter how good we sing, how good we preach, how good we do these things, we want all the glory to go to Christ. Is that right? If I come up here and try to speak and just put, I could put a presentation on, but without Him, nobody could be touched. God couldn't do anything if I don't get out of the way. And so we see that Gideon comes and he says, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return. And so we see Gideon comes with this, and, and um, you know, many times it's a, uh, uh, you, you look at today's time and you see people are fearful and afraid. And you look at what's happened in the message, you know, when people begin to start picking the message and they begin to look at the, the, the cloud and the bridge and they begin to try to tear down pieces of the message and try to tear down the prophet. You see those that were fearful and afraid, they, they went away, they returned. They went and returned back to themselves. But do you see there's some that stayed because they're not fearful and afraid. Is that right? We know that this message is true because it's changed us from who we used to be to who we are now. Do you believe that? Now, we see that they can continue on down, and, and uh, the angel of the Lord comes back unto Gideon and says, The people are yet too many. 
And so we look at who's fearful and afraid. And, and you know, many times, and, and I know I'm going to talk about coaching this little league team just a little bit too much today, but it just typifies everything in the, in the spiritual, you know. I think every pastor should probably go coach a little league team, and, and they would actually do a very successful job. But, uh, and I'm not a pastor. I'm just an evangelist, just a, a little Sunday school teacher, speaker is all that I am. But, but you look, and, you know, um, I've got some kids who want to be there. I've got some kids who just don't care, and I've got some kids whose parents force them to be there. Like, we're going to get you in the sun and get you outside, and I'm going to pay for someone to take care of you for two hours every Tuesday and Thursday to make sure this happens, right? And so you've got the kids who want to be there, and they're there. You really don't have to put much work into them. Then you've got the kids who don't care. When I take a medium amount of work, you can put them in the position they can kind of pay attention. It's okay. The other day we have this little boy. He don't want to be there. He's in the more of I don't care category. And he's in the outfield for a reason. And he never looks, he never pays attention, right? Never pays attention to anything. So I'm like, Cameron, eyes on the batter in case he hits it to you. And I'm like, you know, one day a ball's going to hit you because you're not paying attention. Sure enough, man, kid hits it to right field. Cameron's standing there looking at flowers and butterflies. And we all yell, Cameron. And what does he do? He looks up. Ball hits him straight in the face, right? I go out and check on him, you know, he's okay. I'm like, I go back and I tell the coach, I'm like, hey, at least he didn't get hurt. Now he's going to pay attention. 30 seconds later, flowers again. I'm like, Cameron, do you want to get hit again? But there's no calling, no desire there to be there, right? And so you look at some people, they come and they fall. They're like, well, I'll go to church because this is a good place to go. And then they go back out and live however they want to because they're not called. And those that are called... Those that, are, that have the seed on the inside. Now, we don't get to pick who has the seed on the inside, right? I can look at Brother Sam and say, well, he has the seed. Well, maybe he don't. We don't know that, right? The Holy Ghost may dwell on the inside of him, but there's no pink slip or no proof that I can go and do that. But if he's called, I can promise you this, he'll stay and make the rapture. Is that right? Through the hard times, he'll stay. Through the good times, he'll stay. Through the bad times, he'll stay. Is that right? And so then you've got these, uh, you know, you look at the believer, the make-believer and the unbeliever. And that's what I was looking at there. You've got the kids that want to be there. Those are the believers. Kids who don't care, those are the make-believers. And then the ones who are just forcibly against their will do not want to be there. That's the unbeliever. And so we look at the kids who don't want to be there. They will tell you, I'm like, guys, get your hats and your gloves on and go to the field. Do we have to? Why? They ask me that. Why are we here? And I honestly, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I was told I had to coach the team if my little boy wanted to play, so we're here. You just got to go play, right? That's not a very good explanation, right? I got to explain to them, well, we're here because we want to learn the fundamentals of baseball. We want to do this. We want to get you outside. We want to get you moving. We want you to be active, learn about teamwork. We want to learn how to, how to win and how to lose. And, and so we see we have that in church. There's some people who just honestly don't care, right? They do not care what happens, what goes on. They're here to just cause trouble and cause chaos, now, we don't hate those people. As Christians, believers, we want them to be saved. We want them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But as a message believer, we know we're all going to have to deal with that at some time. Some of you are looking at me kind of crazy and be like, man, I cannot believe he's talking about this. But it happens, right? Somebody's got to talk about it, right? We can't just be mad at those people and fight. That's just what we've got to come up against. So my idea is to figure out what we're up against and figure out how to face it the right way. Is that right? Because God did not want to throw anybody out. He didn't want to kick anybody out. He didn't want to cause fights and, and arguments in the church. He wanted us to believe and trust and obey Him. Is that right? 
So we see that they come on down to Gideon, and, and, and the angel of the Lord comes back down and says, The people are still yet too many. Only those who drink a certain way can come. And it had to be a certain way. And so I'm not going to dive off into that, but we look, it started out with 32,000, then it went, went to 10,000. And the angel of the Lord still said, you know, that's still too many. So said, I need you to have them drink a certain way. Then it comes down to 300. And so now God says, this is perfect. The angel of the Lord comes down and said, this is just right because, you know, the, this, the only way they can overcome is through me. Right? And so I don't care how big your church is in Laodicea or how many people you have we are at the point in Laodicea where the world has gone so crazy and what, what they're going for. You know, you look the other day and I, I, I seen this in the news and I, I don't listen to the news or watch the news because I just, I just can't stand it. But I was reading an article the other day and it was where it was, um, um, it was um, pride, gay pride for Hamas, I believe is what it's called. And so you look at that, well, Hamas, their religion, you know, and their belief system, you know, if there are any homosexuals, they kill them. That, that's the punishment. They, they straight death. And you see that it's, it's gay pride for, for Hamas. And, and so I'm not here to speak on any of those things. But you look at it and you look back to when Jesus was here. And they were literally crying for Barabbas, the thief, over Christ. The one who had done nothing wrong to him. And I'm looking at you know the people crying out against Israel for retaliating against the attacks. And, and you look at the world today and how they are choosing those who would kill them. The thief, just like they would choose Barabbas against Christ. And it just, it just blows my mind that that would happen. But in this day, that's what we've come to is total and complete insanity. Is that right? Now, Judges 7 and verse 7, And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people and every man go to his place. And so we see as Gideon coming down and, and looking, you know, he went from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. Is that right? And so we see that Gideon's got to be getting nervous because at first when he had the 32,000, I'm sure he was feeling pretty good. When he had the 10,000, okay, we can still try. We can knock a dent in them. Then it comes down to 300, and he's like, okay, I'm, you know, all his trust has got to be in God. Is that right? And believers in this day, it's come down to where it's like, you know, all of our faith, all of our trust, all of our focus has to be in him because there's no way we can make a rapture without him. We can't do it on our own. We can't live good enough. We can't do this. We can't do that. We've got to trust solely in Jesus Christ. Is that right? Now, and we see here that the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people and every man go to his place. So the people took victuals in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel and every man into his tent and retained those 300 men, the host of the Midian, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Now, it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thy hand. But if thou fear to go down, go with pure thy servant to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. And they went down with pure his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were with the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside, seaside for a multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man and told a dream to his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled in the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned, and the tent lay long. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for unto his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host." So this was his enemy testifying. So God sent him down, or the angel of the Lord sent him down and said, listen, go to the host. 
and listen. And then this was what encouraged Gideon's heart. Verse 15, and when it was so, Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, and he worshiped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord had delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And I want to just stop there for a moment, and some of you who have got testimonies, the things that you've been through and the things that, that, that God has maybe saw you through and God has brought you through, you don't ever realize how much of a testimony that is to other people. And it's something you should not be ashamed of. You should always testify to the glory of God. If God heals you of a headache, you should tell somebody. If God heals you of a disease, you should tell somebody about it. If God brings you through or changes your relationship and and brings you through a troubled relationship and works it out, you should tell somebody how God has done something for you because that's going to bless somebody else. Is that right? How does the Scripture say we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and by the words of our testimony. Do you believe that? Now, and he said it was so, and Gideon heard the tone of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped, he returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord had delivered your hand, delivered into your hand the host of the Midian. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand. Everyone had a part to play. Right? And so, no matter what happens in life, you know, I look at the t-ball team, and we don't, we don't cut people, and we barely have just enough kids to, to, cut, to make a team. And I have to tell everybody... Everybody has a part to play. You're like, well, I'm in the outfield doing this. I'm, I'm over here doing this. But everybody has a part to play. Somebody may hit a ball there one time, and you've got to go get it and get it into the infield. And so no matter how little you feel in, the, in this, this whole picture of maybe the church body here, but you have a part to play. Now, the bad thing is, is whenever you've got a part to play and you're out looking at butterflies and chasing flowers and things, Right? Because that's your responsibility to watch your position. So you don't know when God may call upon you, but you have a part to play and you have to be ready. Is that right? Now, and we see that in every man's hand was an empty pitcher and a lamp within the pitchers. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. And we know that who should we follow? That's Jesus Christ. Is that right? As he lived, we should live. Now, when I blow the trumpet and all that are with me, then blow the trumpets, everyone on every side of the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord of Gideon. And so Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the, beginning, in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pictures that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pictures and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all, and they cried, The sword of the Lord in Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow. And even throughout the host, all the hosts fled unto Bethsheba and to Zarethah and the border of Abilamala and Tabith. And they come and they continued to chase them all the way back. And so you see that whenever they did, as Gideon did, and they followed the angel of the Lord's leadership, we see that they overcome the enemy 300 to an innumerable amount. Now, Brother Branham says, and I know my Redeemer limiteth. He said, and he said, oh, how that coincides this morning with the faith, the living faith of God in his church. He said, there's something in our heart that speaks that there is a land beyond the river. He said, I cannot put my finger on that land, neither can any man, but there's something within us that tells us the grave is not our goal. Do you believe that? He said, dust thou art and dust thou returnest is not spoken of the soul. He said, there's something within us, a fire that's burning, a light that's been lit by God, and no breezes can blow it out. He said, there's no cold spells in the church. There's no indifference amongst the people. There's no persecution of the world that can blow out the flame that God has lit. For it's God's purpose that his torchlight of freedom will burn 
burn until the coming of the Lord, and no powers can blow it out. They will only make it burn brighter as they blow. Do you believe that? You look at, you look at the uh, prodigal son, and you see when he went out into the pig pen, he was not a pig. He was still a son. Is that right? And maybe some of you have children that are out in the world or children that have gone astray, but if you hold fast to the promise that God has given us in the Scripture, they will come back. Is that right? Now, Isaiah 43 and 2, it says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. I will go through the rivers and through the rivers, and they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So as a believer in this day, we, we look into the scriptures and we see the types that Jesus or the, the, that God had put in the scriptures that you and I can look back to and have faith and bring it to this day. Is that right? Now, we may not face the same persecution as they did in the Scriptures, but you and I fight a persecution that is not of this world. We fight principalities and, spiritual, and, and, and principalities of darkness and powers of darkness that we cannot see. Now, back then they were fighting physical battles, but now it's a spiritual battle. Is that right? We see that it's come back to the spiritual warfare. Now, Psalms 138 and 7, it says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, trouble thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. He says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever, and forsake not the works of thine own hands. Now, I'm a big believer in Psalms 138 that the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Now, I want to take just a moment in that, and you say, well, what concerns me? Now, that doesn't say just in your spiritual life. I believe as believers and Christians, we ought to be the happiest people on the earth. And that means we ought to be happy not only in church, but at home with our families. We ought to be happy at work. We ought to be happy out in the public. And so you look at that and you say, well, God doesn't deal with my work. God doesn't deal with that. I want you to know God will deal with every aspect of your life that you'll allow him to deal with. If you say, well, I don't like my job, I can promise you if you pray, God will give you a better job. You know, I'm a firm believer in, in writing stuff down and, and taking that spiritual word and, and writing it down and seeing it and then let it become manifest in my life. And if I wanted a different job or a better job, I'd write down what I wanted and pray and believe that it would come to pass and God would give it to me, right? If, if you believe and you want something, now I couldn't be lazy. I couldn't just sit on the sidelines. I couldn't do any, just do nothing. I had to be out there working and trying to advance, trying to do stuff, trying to go that extra mile for God to do something in my life. You can't just ask him to do it and sit back and wait for him to do it, right? Gideon said, well, you know, with the 300, God, if we've only got 300. Why don't you just do it? But they had a part to play. We know that God took over for Gideon. We know that God was, had all that in control because there's no way that 300 men could have done what Gideon and the 300 did, right? Why didn't they just sit back and say, well, God, why don't you do it? Why do we even need to break the pictures? And we bring that down to today, and we look, well, God, I'll go to church. Okay, I'll be there. But why do I need to do anything? You've already overcome. You've already did all this. You've already did all that. Why do, why do I need to do it? Because it's got to be the believer overcoming in this day. Is that right? Brother Bram says, we're not like the first Eve. We won't fall. Right? We will remain true to our husband, Jesus Christ. So we see that whatever you're going through in your life, God is, will perfect that which concerneth you. Okay? Psalms 138 and 8. Now, Brother Bram says, every time the Lord uses the words, fear not, there's an engagement at hand which will involve great danger and suffering and deprivation. Now, he does not say it in a blunt, curt manner that tribulation is coming that would frighten one. But like a mother who's about to turn off the light, he gently says, or who gently says to her child, lest he be frightened. Now, don't be afraid, for the light will go out and it will be dark, but remember that I'm here with you. 
and says, So he says, don't be afraid of what man can do to you. I am with you. My grace is sufficient for you. When you pass through the waters, they will not overflow you. Not even in death are you defeated. You are more than conquerors. Do you believe that this morning? Now, we see Brother Branham, he goes on, as I was with Moses, he says, Let him that is weak say, I am strong. See, just say in your heart, now I am now strong. I have now accepted Jesus Christ as my healer and never have any negative testimony anymore. Just believe it. Now, I believe I've told this here before, but I tried to go a full day without telling any negative thing, without saying any negative thing, and I, I timed it. I didn't even get it past an hour. You know, it was just subconsciously, just like something happened. I was like, oh, man, that's terrible. And I was like, oh, no. And I messed up, and I tried to do it again. It was like another hour, same thing. And so, now, did I give up because I failed within the hour? I'm still trying. I'm still trying, but I don't say a negative thing every hour now. I'm like up to an hour and a half, Right? Right? Some of you are laughing and saying, like, well, that's, that's crazy. Well, I've done the math, and when I'm 78, I'm going to be to a full day. So I'm, I'm, I'm climbing each day. So at 78, you all watch out. But you look, and we've got to be doing something for the Lord. I know that's lightning and funny, but it's true, right? I mean, how many of you really believe what we read? It says, never have a negative testimony. Now, some of you, as soon as we leave church, I guarantee you, somebody's going to walk up to you and say, oh, man. And you know what's going to happen after the amen. It's not an amen like we just prayed. It's an amen like something bad's about to come, right? I've got people that every time they talk to me, it's a problem. It's a trial. It's a, and, and there's just nothing you can do but listen, right? Or you can avoid them and run as fast as you can. It depends on how quick you are. But as believers, we ought not to focus on the negative but on the positive. And I know we laugh, and I'm telling this as, as kind of a, as a humorous thing, but I promise you, if you try to change your spiritual mindset, and I'm not a Joel Olstein guy where it's just the power of positivity, write this down and do this and do that. You actually got to change your spiritual mindset because we know that God, Satan deals with the head and God deals with the heart. Is that right? So it's not something you just say in your mind, say, well, I'm going to do this. No, it's something that comes from your heart that says, I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better this. And then you say, I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better church member. And then you've got to change that spiritual mindset so that you can become that. Because you can't just say, I want to be a better Christian and then do nothing to better that. You can't just say, I want to be a better Christian and then keep doing the things you're doing. You've got to do more than you're currently doing, right? You know, I, and I'm, I'm going back to coaching baseball again because it's just where I'm at right now in my life. But you look at these kids, they're like, well, I want to bat. Well, have you practiced? No. Do you know which hand you want to hold the bat in? Do you know which way you bat? No, but I want to bat. And so I've got some kids who just say, well, I'm not going to try. Just put me up there. Then I've got some kids who have really worked from the beginning of season to the end of season. And now, guess what? They're good at batting. They've moved up in the lineup. So as Christians, many times you may say, well, why does Brother Earl do this? Or why does he use this one? Or why does he do that one? Maybe it's because they produce a little bit better because they're there when he needs them. They, 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 they have an honest, open heart that they're there just solely to help with the walk or help with the courage of the Lord. Not that they're there about their own agenda or their own thing or their own mindset. So if you want to be better, be better. It's not something that God's going to come down and just make you a better person. It's not something that He just comes down and, and touches you and all of a sudden you're a better Christian. They call it a walk with Christ because we're walking, right? And if you sit down, Christ doesn't stop. This bride is going forward. If you sit down, you're going to slowly come back. Is that right? When Brother Brandon was in the vision, what did he say? Get back in line. They were still walking. They were still with the bride. But what was he doing? Crying, get back in line. Do you believe that? 
Now, he says, never have a negative testimony anymore. He said, just believe it. He said, God's under obligation, or Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father to accept you, for he's sitting there, the high priest of your confession, to make good before the Father anything that he died for. Now, a long time ago, I was preaching in a youth service, and I took two jars of dirt, and I filled them up with dirt and, and, and set them out, and they were glass jars, and I put a seed in one, and the other one I didn't. I had a young man come up, and I was like, pick which one has a seed in it. Of course, he picked wrong, you know, because he can't see anything, right? It's absurd that we would think I would even ask him to come pick whose seed or not. But it seems like in message churches, we see people come in and we begin to pick who's got the seed and who doesn't, right? And nobody has any right to say, well, this one does or this one doesn't. A girl could come in dressed like a harlot or a man could come in and be dressed, maybe even completely cross-dressed. And we say, how do we say there's not a seed of God in that life? And I know that's really tough. It's even tough for me to grasp sometimes. But we cannot go and say, well, God cannot change that life because I truly believe that the scripture said there's only one unpardonable sin, that's blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Is that right? So we see that anything else, anything else that these people have done, God can still go out and touch them. Do you believe that this morning? And as Christians, we ought to want them to be saved. As Christians, even if we have an enemy come in, we should want them to surrender their life to Christ. Is that right? Now, Ephesians 2 and verse 5, and I'll be closing just in a few minutes. Amen. If the musicians want to go ahead and kind of make their way back and and we'll, we'll read here in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 5. And Even when we were dead in sin, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. So it's not by works, but it's by grace. Is that right? And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. It says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, it's the gift of God. So salvation is a gift. Is that right? So if, if I was to take Brother Sam and give him this microphone and say, here, this is a gift. And he gave me $20. No, that's not a gift. That's a sale, right? He, he bought that. But this gift of salvation, it's nothing you and I couldn't pay for it. We didn't have the, uh, uh, the, the right blood. We could not pay for this. So it was a gift. So none of us is any higher than the other. We were all given the same gift. Is that right? It says, now, for we are his workmanship, or excuse me, verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should walk in them. Now, Brother Branham says here, he says, he said, hold this carefully in mind. Now, take it to the next step. Redeem means to buy back. Restore to the original owner. God, by his death, shed his blood and bought back his own. He bought back the spoken word seed bride that my sheep hear my voice, my word, and they follow me. It says, you always were a sheep. You never were a pig or a dog that was turned into a sheep. He said, that's impossible for every kind of life produces the same kind. And there is no change in species. He says, and we were in the thoughts of God and then expressed in flesh. There had to, be, there had to come a day when we would hear his voice. The word and, and in hearing that voice would become aware of our father calling us and recognize that we are the sons of God. We heard his voice and we cried out as did the prodigal son, save me, O father, I am returning to thee. Now, I want to close with this quote here because this is just uh, just tie the thought all back together that Christ means more. And, and you look in your own life and, and I know in mine, I, I, I'm, I'm very ambitious on on certain things and I, I want to look at those things almost too often and try to become this and that. And, and it's not that it's, those are sinful things, but it does take away sometimes from my prayer and my study. Now, Brother Branham says in A Hidden Life in 1955, he says, have you ever come to the place in life where Christ meant more to you 
than all the arguing you could do about your church. He says, has Christ meant more to you than all the world? And I believe as a believer, as a Holy Ghost-filled believer, we've still got to come to that point where Christ means more than everything. It means more than the boy we want. It means more than the husband we want. It means more than the wife we want. It means more than the friends we want. It means more than the songs we want. He's got to mean more than all of that. Now, until you get to that point, as a believer, I tell you, you've, you've got some more steps to go. Christ has got to be the center focus of your life. And he says, I don't mean an emotional, mental workup. I mean from the depths of your heart that something's settled in there, that something's taken place that you don't know how it come, but you're hid away. Your whole motive is to serve Jesus Christ. Have you entered that place, my dear brother? Have you come into that place where you don't care what anyone says? Not to go out and act smart, but to the love of God is so anchored into you that you can't see nothing else. Your whole motive is to do the will of God. It says, love for everybody, flowing free from everywhere. He says, what a place to live, that hidden place. He said, that's the place we've got to come to, my brethren. That's the place where God reveals His secret things. That's the place where God does His placing and calling. He says, you get what I mean. And so if I could just end this tonight with... Whatever you're, whatever you're dealing with in your own life, whatever you're going through in your personal life, you've got to come to the point as a believer that Christ means more than everything else. You've got to come to a point in your life, and I know it's not easy, you know, because we all, it seems that the, the, this age tries to keep us busy and distracted. There's a million things I could be doing right now. Each one of you could say there's a million things you could be doing. Like I, and, and it's so hard to bring your mind under sub subject to the Spirit to bring it into a service because everybody here is thinking of all the things they need to do with their house, all the things they need to do at work, all the things they need to do with their family. And we live in the most convenient age we've ever lived in, right? That everything is so fast. You know, used to, you know, my, I didn't know this is how long it took my grandmother to make sourdough rolls. They were just there. <laughs> but if you've ever tried to make them, as me and my wife did not long ago, you find out that it's a several-day process. But I wanted sourdough rolls for supper. Yeah. And then I find out you've got to let it rise. You've got to do the, you've got to actually put the potato shavings into this. And it was disgusting. I was like, well, how does it even taste so good? But you see, we live in this age of convenience. And, and that's what has happened to our age that I'm, even me, I'm, I'm so used to things happening right now. But when it comes to the word of God, that's not the way God works. God's timing is different than our timing. You may be looking at your children and say, well, I really want them to be here. But God's timing is true. If you pray and believe the word and, 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 and trust God that he will deliver them and bring them back, that's what God is going to do. But it will be in his time, not our time. You say, well, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to, be, I want to be better at this. Pray and ask God to seek the Lord and see that he will give you that. But it will be in his time, not our time. Amen. Do you love the Lord this morning? Amen. If we would just bow our heads, maybe they'd play something softly just before we turn over the, the order of the service. Dear Lord, we just, we just come before you, Lord, this afternoon, just, just thankful for what you've given us and thankful for your word and, and, and just so thankful for the prophets you sent just to, to restore all those loose ends and tie everything back together. And we just thank you for allowing us to just to come in this age, which it may be the darkest, Lord, but it's the greatest age. It's the, it's the age where everything is, re all the, all, everything is revealed, Lord, and we have a greater understanding. God, I pray for, if there's someone here struggling this morning to put you first, Lord, I pray they'll put you first. Lord, I pray that they will come to a place where there's, no, there's nowhere else to go but to you. 
Lord, if someone's questioning salvation, Lord, I pray that they'll accept you this morning. Lord, they would place their faith and trust solely in you. Lord, not in a man, not in a church, but in Christ. Because, Lord, we know that if you can get a hold of them, if you get them in your hand, no one can take them away. God, we pray for this church. We pray for the pastor. We pray for the officers of the church. Lord, you would just bless them. Help them continue in their way as, as believers of this precious message. Lord, you would just give them strength for the journey. And Lord, that we would all one day just meet in that glorious, that glorious rapture, Lord, where we would be meet those that have gone on before us in the air. Lord, then we'll see you as you are because we'll be like you. Lord, I pray as we go, Lord, you would keep everybody safe. And bless us until we come together again. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.